ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Hard to Paint. I don't know if this is going to become a habit, but I am putting out two podcasts again today, which I've done for the last two Tuesdays. It wasn't the plan when I started this whole thing, but I try to stay as current as I can. So don't forget to hit subscribe and please rate and share the podcast. You have all been some fantastic with your support over the last two weeks. Visit the website, hitpwithdg.com. And also follow me on social media at DMGrub or at um, HITP with DGrub on Instagram. Um, in today's episode, I'll be joined by Trevor Ritchie. Trevor's the host of the Get Rich podcast covering MMA, UFC, boxing, and sports betting. Please check it out and subscribe to the Get Rich podcast as well. Um, Today we're going to be talking about Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. and their upcoming exhibition fight in September and the status of the heavyweight division, you know, Tyson Fury, um, you know, uh, Deontay Wilder, all those things that are going on at the top of that division. We'll talk about that. Plenty to get to first, though. Last night, the New Orleans Pelicans did finish up their exhibition schedule uh, with the NBA season restarting on Thursday. Pels taking on the Utah Jazz. First two preseason games, in my mind, were not really helpful in assessing the team at all. The Nets are done. The Nuggets weren't playing with their full roster. Um, but you didn't see anything negative. Last night, you saw something that was a lot more encouraging. Pelicans didn't get rattled. They came out kind of flat. Bucks jump out to a 13-point lead. Uh, Pelicans were kind of sloppy. They were missing shots. Um, just didn't, They didn't look together at the start. To come back, they fight back, outscore Milwaukee over each of the last three quarters by more and more. Defensively, they looked solid. Um, and for most teams, if you're down double digits to Milwaukee, that can be one of those things. They come on those runs. It's almost like Golden State in a way. That they come at you. They the, the run starts defensively. They get stops. They turn that into transition buckets. They're getting threes. They're getting Giannis and uh, you know at the rim, and it's easy to just fold. That's the top four offense, the number one defense in the league. They don't let people score in the paint. They don't let you get to the free throw line. You have to beat them with ball movement. You have to make open shots when you get them. And the Pelicans were disciplined. They did that last night. They passed the ball around. Um, to create driving lanes. Uh, they hit their shots. J.J. Uh, Redick was on fire for five minutes in the third quarter. Scores 20 points in that stretch. Jackson Hayes and Frank Jackson made good decisions. Scored 33 points between the two of them. 17 for Jack, 16 for Frank. Frank hit threes. Frank got to the, to, you know, to the rim. Jacks scored around the basket. He made free throws. Um... So, they look good. You got highlight moments from Lonzo. There was that half-court pass that was just beautiful um, and right on time. Brandon Ingram, Drew Holiday looked good. Brandon Ingram, again, efficient with his shot. Drew looked better shooting the ball and just um, than he did just two, just, uh, two days ago. Um, even Sundarius Thornwell had moments. So, it was... 
good to see again that the Pelicans do have that depth. Um, they look like they can run. They look like they can defend uh, similar at a similar level than what they did to what they did when uh, the season was interrupted. They kept Milwaukee out of the paint. And to get 73 points from your bench, when that is always a, a struggle for the Pelicans outside of um, counting on J.J. Redick and Josh Hart on a night-to-night basis, sometimes Etwan Moore. They got 73 points on their bench last night. So anything you want to say negative about last night would probably be nitpicking. Um, it's just one of those efforts that you wanted to see as they closed it out. Zion Williamson is expected to resume practice on Wednesday. Um, according to David Griffin, his quarantine officially ends sometime this afternoon, but he has to be tested again, and so he should be cleared as long as he passes his test to resume practice tomorrow, meaning he will play on Thursday. Who knows what his minutes are going to look like? Um, I would imagine he plays 20-plus, just kind of like the first time he did when he returned. I don't think it's a restriction in the sense of, you know, they're worried about anything, but it's just, hey, let's let's make sure he's ready to go. He just didn't get, you know, didn't get minutes. Didn't get to play during these exhibition games. So, again, you want to see him on the floor. Um, Zion did miss all three games against Utah during the regular season. Pels went one and two against the Jazz. We all remember the game at the Smoothie King Center. Um, Rudy Gobert's block on Brandon Ingram, which really should have been a foul. Pelicans, those games were decided um, by, all of them were decided by five, six points or less. It was possession and free throw games. Um, and, you know, I said it before, Pelicans have to go six and two uh, to, to make the eight, nine play in. And right now they're favored in six of the eight games that they're supposed to play. The only two they're not favored in are their first two, Utah and the Clippers. But after the way they played, they scored 114 points a game in three games. They won by 22 points per night. How can you not get excited about what they could do? So at this point, I'm led to believe that their stiffest competition, excuse me, will be Portland for the final playoff berth in the West. And the Pelicans have beaten up on Portland this season. Now, I keep saying that because I think, you know, Portland is as healthy as it's been. And we have not seen that fully healthy Portland squad. But they really haven't either, so they have to adjust. But we know what the Pelicans have been able to do against Memphis. Again, mostly without Zion on the floor. So I'm confident in the Pelicans playing against Memphis, even if they have to beat them twice. Um, But I think after that, who wins this championship is anybody's guess. The only thing I can say definitively in my mind is that Giannis Atitacupo is the MVP. And he played again like last night. I mean, it was clear how good he is, how great he is. 30 points in 23 minutes. Knocked down a three from well beyond the arc. Killed around the rim. He's just that good. He's the MVP. So here's just a quick side note. Uh, there are games still being played tonight. This is the last night of the exhibition uh, schedule in Orlando. The Pelicans' opponents for the seeding games, the eight upcoming games, are combined 6-13 and 13 in exhibition play for whatever that is worth. Only Utah and the Clippers, again, the Pelicans' first two opponents, have winning records. Both went 2-1 and one, um, during exhibition play. So the rest of their opponents so far are combined... Four and 11. 
I, again, I don't know for sure if that means something, but looking at the Pelicans, they look a little bit farther along than the teams that they will be competing against. Last NBA note, I want to give a shout out to Kyrie Irving for dropping $1.5 million and putting his money where his mouth is uh, by supporting those WNBA players who are missing out on their salaries this season because of either their health issues or wanting to be involved in social justice. Okay, coming back closer to home, this one is one that's a lot more serious to me. And the LHSAA has decided that football can go ahead and start on scheduled August 3rd practices. There had been a push to move practice back until August 13th, but no, Eddie Bonai says going full steam ahead. Now, they have not committed to a starting date for actual games this season, but why would you start even start practices without that? Until the NBA had its opening date. They didn't set training camp times. The NFL set its training camp. They're not ready to go. They're just reaching an agreement with camps already starting this week. High school sports have to be even more prepared with less resources than multi-million dollar companies. Even doing seven on sevens and trying to say that you're keeping the number of players to, on the field at 25 and it can't be near each other. And, but you've also given schools, they only get in trouble if they self-report or someone happens to report them. Private schools completely unsupervised in all this. The LHSA has no governance over over these uh, summer workouts, really. And they said that you can't, they weren't going to start the season until sports moves into, the Louisiana moves into phase three of the governor's COVID-19 plan. And yet, we are not in phase three, so why would you begin practices? High school football is the sport with the highest incidence of morbidity and mortality compared to any other sport at that level. Every year you already get a dozen kids, a dozen kids who die on playing fields from overexertion, heat stroke, and brain trauma. Athletes are also at a higher risk for coronavirus, and football players in particular are at a higher risk anyway. 51%, 51% of all high school football players are overweight. A high body mass index is an absolute factor in contracting coronavirus. We have already talked about this. Any body mass index over 31, your BMI number, if it's over 31, you are at a higher risk. 51% of high school football players are overweight. A study on global pediatric health from 2018 showed that most overweight football players tend to gain weight over the course of the season and not lose it. 88% of athlete heat stroke cases are in the Southeast during August. Extreme physical exertion has also been shown to increase the vulnerability to coronavirus from anywhere between 3 to 72 hours. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, our country's leading um, expert on virus, viruses and viral infections, says you must have a multi-million dollar bubble like the NBA's if you want to can safely conduct team sports. 
He's already said football should not be played this fall. You've had college conferences shut it down for at least until the spring. These are people with far more assets than any high school. And you have absolutely no reason to believe that underfunded school districts in one of the poorest states in this country should be able to keep your kids safe. So to me, it's up to John Bill Edwards. And he needs to get off his ass and stop this now. Because I'd rather be the guy who stopped football before a tragedy happened than be the guy who let one happen under my watch. But see, the thing is, most people won't care. They won't care if a kid dies. That's the cost of normalcy for them. But that's wrong. Football, sports, whatever. And yes, I understand. I have a child. I understand the psychological difficulties of it is of not being social, of not being around your friends. I watch it every day and I try to figure out ways to help her with that. But none of that is more important than the loss of a life. Not one. Not one. Because if you go tell that parent, you go tell that husband, wife, whomever who loses somebody or who has a child who gets permanently damaged in their lungs, that it was worth it. You tell them. Or ask yourself. If your kid is out there playing football and they die because of this, if one kid, if one of their teammates dies or one of their teammates is hospitalized and does not ever have the opportunity to live the life that they could have because of this, or they infect someone else that they love and damage them, how are you going to feel about that? How are you going to feel about that? Is a trophy, is a letterman jacket, are any of those things worth a loss of one life? And if you say that's the cost of doing business, then we need to stop and reevaluate again who the hell we are. Because what are our values if we are willing to sacrifice children again for money and entertainment? You're willing to sacrifice or endanger children and their families for money and entertainment. That's not right. We protect those who cannot protect themselves. We do not put kids in jeopardy. That is not the sign of a civilized society. And that's all I'm going to say about that today. I'll be back in a moment with Trevor Ritchie, so stay with me. This is Hard to Paint with David Grubb. Batman at the Batcave. New hoes in they old ways. Yeah, yeah, we the new wave. Today, we're going to be discussing the fight game with my friend Trevor Ritchie, who does a great podcast you need to check out called Get Rich with Trevor Ritchie. We also have some of his gear on our website, hitpwithdg.com. Dude's got one of the dopest logos out, so you know you got to check it out um, and check out his podcast. He gets some of the big names, fighters, trainers, and uh, he's just going to be expanding it more and more. Trevor, welcome back to Hard to Paint, my man. Thank you, as always, for having me, my friend. You know, it's a pleasure for me anytime I get to come on your show, boss. I mean, I think, you know, the, the fight game, really, it's like outside of, in this area, outside of when um, whatever, Regis fights, Regis Prograde, it's like, we don't really talk about boxing in this area. We don't talk about MMA in this area enough. And I think it's, it's largely been ignored by most of the media 
Um, except for I think what and we had one event in in New Orleans. I, I'm trying to remember like it's been quite a while. Obviously Regis has fought in New Orleans a few times. Other than that, nothing of note outside of you know, New Orleans also has a pretty good amateur scene as well. Some guys that still undefeated that you know the New Orleans Boxing Club of course um but yeah it's definitely something that deserves a little more attention especially I felt right now with a little bit of a transition transition period in media and with your show and obviously the the topics we can even cover with the the lack of sports and we're getting back around to that now obviously in, in NBA MLB all of that but this was definitely a sport that deserves some light that's you talk about the UFC it's doing better than it has um, just about any other year you have outside of the Conor McGregor's and the, the John Joneses, you have guys like Jorge Masvidal who are in their 50th fight doing, you know, the same type of pay-per-view numbers that a Conor Habib fight would do. Um, you have the UFC selling more merch in half of the year this year than they did all of last year. Um, with boxing, you kind of see a little bit of a resurgence where with the UFC, you kind of saw them take over for a little while, but now you get the Deontay Wilder, the Tyson Fury, the unification fights, Anthony Joshua, so you see boxing, at least at the heavyweight um, side, kind of coming back to the mainstream, as well as guys like Ryan Garcia. And you see some of these young kids that have the hand speed and the potential. Um, so, so we're coming back around. And I do think it's about time we, we start giving this a little more attention, especially here in the New Orleans area, for sure. Yeah, because there, there had been such a great history um, the New Orleans scene, just going back to the 80s. Um, you know, look, this is the place where Muhammad Ali fought his last fight. You know what I mean? Like, this is the site of the no Moss fight at the Superdome between Sugar Ray and um, <clears throat> Hands of Stone. And, uh, oh, why am I forgetting? Roberto Duran. Roberto Duran, jeez. So it's like New Orleans is, has been home to some great boxing events and some great young boxers, both on the male and female side. Um, so it's just, it's kind of, you know, I think it's a post-Katrina thing, really, that, like, kind of boxing really just fell off the map here. We haven't had... The, like you said, the even the local matches have been very, very small scale. You haven't had those kind of events that get to the arena or get to even the lakefront arena um, and, and that type of size. Boxing needs big events. That It, it is a big event sport. And, and now – I was just going to say, I've only been here in the area in New Orleans for about a year now, obviously on and off for a few years before that. That's how I came to meet you with the Pelicans and things of that nature. But um, it's definitely a place that has the talent. It's a place that has the history. I look forward to learning more about that. I didn't even know the things that you just said about Muhammad Ali and Roberto Duran and all that, which is amazing. On top of, like I mentioned, just the amateur scene and some of the things they have going on, great people all the people that I meet from these different boxing clubs in the area are people that promote fights or whatever it may be. They just, they seem to be out here in the community, not only in the fight game, but also in the community trying to do the right things. And I appreciate that. So I am looking forward to kind of getting more ingrained with that culture here in the city. Yeah. This is the kind of city that grows boxers. You know, like when you look at it, the boxers come from Philly, Chicago, LA, you know, those places that are, quite frankly, a little bit rougher, you know? I mean, it's just, it, it's that way. And Detroit, you know, just always, you've had these lineage of boxers come from these really rough places. Um, and, and New Orleans is, is no different. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a, there's a fighting spirit to the city too. And it's just always been there. And I think that that's, that's kind of just part of the, the culture as well. All of us, man, all, all the people right now in a world where you have to be a little bit independent, whether it be as a fighter or a promoter, a media member or whatever, you have to find your way to stand out and you don't always have the help or resources that you necessarily need to get to the top. But anybody um, that I know in this city that is of 
pretty much any stature that people look up to. These are people that have um, what Modelo would say is the fighting spirit, right? And right. Uh, I, th- I think New Orleans has a lot of that. So the big event now for boxing is announced last week. Um, what is being called an exhibition between Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. It's going to be September 12th in California, eight rounds. And this, I just found a lot of this stuff out this weekend. This all started with a Mike Tyson conversation. He calls Roy Jones up straight up and says, you want to fight? Like just, Hey, you want to fight? And Roy says in return, Mike knew that I was the guy who was easiest to deal with. I've been independent most of my life. Mike knew he could call me and we could set this up. And it just took a matter of hours, quite literally, for them to set up what is going to be the boxing event of the year. No matter who else fights, this is the event of the year. You know, I doubt that Fury Joshua happens, but if that happens, it's that not would... happening this year. That's next year. Those, 2021 that's... for sure. Um, and then you, you could throw, you know, the chance of Fury Wilder rematch happens. I don't think that happens this year either. Right. I'm not just trying to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, but you're right. And that's crazy to think about. It's going to be the, the biggest boxing event of the year. At the same time, though, remember, Mike Tyson was saying that he, you know, back when this first started, he'd take a million dollars and he's going to get way more than that now, I'll tell you. But he said he would take a million dollars and fight anyone, pretty much anyone. Uh, and we heard Roy's name come up. I, I don't know about you. I just never thought that this was going to be a Roy Jones Jr. fight. That caliber, yeah, I thought, that. I thought they'd be a warm up. Like Mike would say, I'll fight somebody just to see what I got. And we would have yeah. paid for it. We would have paid to see Mike Tyson fight a broomstick on pay-per-view. Um, you know, and you have your Jake Pauls and your Nate Robinsons, but still you're talking about Mike Tyson going up against a guy who has what 75 plus professional fights under his belt. Not only that, the dude's won his last four fights and uh, as recently as, what, 2018. 2018, And so Mike's got a lot more rust to shake off than that. That was just the biggest surprise for me is that as much as we heard these different names tossed around, and of course someone has to match Mike Tyson on that card to a certain degree in terms of draw, but I didn't expect it to be this. I definitely don't expect it to be an exhibition. Um, This is the type of thing where, uh, and you've heard some of the comments already, but it's just the nature of a fight. When when guys go to spar at the gym and it's supposed to be, you know, whatever percentage of of how hard you're trying to go, but you're trying to get the the real aspect of what a fight would be like. And then one punch goes the wrong way. And I've heard the stories with Regis. I've heard the stories with Nate Diaz um, firsthand that it can very quickly turn into a fight. And when we've seen the, the videos of Mike Tyson hitting the pads for 10 seconds and that sold us on it. And, you know, when he throws one of those on an actual person, I think the, the intensity of that will change very quickly, not only for, for the opponent, but also for Mike, because Mike hasn't been there. Right. Mike is kind of one of those things where, um, you know, understanding your own power at this point, and I'm not sure he's been able to have a real grasp on that, but we've been able to see a little bit of what he's capable of. Um, and, and it's, it's going to be incredibly interesting. Yeah, because the, the thing that is very interesting is to me is, okay, Mike Tyson spent most of his heavyweight career fighting against guys who were taller, much taller. Um, Roy is about an inch, inch and a half taller than Mike. And Roy still has a longer reach. Mike was never known for his incredible reach. His reach is about 71, Roy is about 74. But what this does for Mike, like you said, for him, okay, now I don't have to close as much space. And is Roy still able at this stage to be as elusive as he once was 
to not have to because Roy has never taken a hit from a guy like Mike Tyson. The last, I mean, we saw him get knocked out by some guys who were not the biggest punchers at that at a certain point in his career. Roy's chin after Antonio Tarver put him down. A few people who were not great fighters were able to knock Roy Jones out. I'm and not even as worried about the chin as I am the body, to be the honest. Body. Oh, yeah. Mike, Mike hitting those ribs. And, and even Roy has said, he says, I'm not approaching this like an exhibition because I know Mike. And I know Mike is going to take this seriously. So I have to take this very seriously. Isn't there – I mean, obviously, there's a, a very high level of nostalgia here, but also in, in the sense that there's a little bit of the myth aspect to this where, say, you look at a guy like Bruce Lee where he passes away, we never get to really find out, you know. And obviously, we saw Mike Tyson fight, so that's not the best comparison. But at the same time, it's been a really long time. And it's something that we probably didn't expect, not once again to this level of a Roy Jones Jr. You could see him fight anyone and walk away with him winning and, feel, you know, feel whatever way about that. And, and everybody makes some money. We're all happy as fans but this is a real fight exhibition or not and you get to you know, bust the myth either he's gonna you know walk out there and be the thing we've all built him to be in our minds where we've all sat around and had the conversations would you take a punch from Mike how much you know what this or that and the answer is you shouldn't you're out no. of your mind if you do but we get to see it live on pay-per-view um, against a real fighter and a champion. So, uh, you know, regardless of age, you know, we see fights in the UFC. You see Shogun Hua and, and Little Nog fight. And, and, yeah, it was a trilogy fight, and they're, they're up there in age. But we still enjoy this so much as fans. And especially, um, I don't think there could have been a, a better time for this fight to happen, considering everything that's going on in the world. It increases the money that, that Mike can make. It uh, increases the interest from fans. And I think that's going to be one of those – really fun nights once again when you have down the card other interesting matchups which were set up to be closer to what the card was kind of aimed towards when I say when you just expected right. Mike to kind of fight a name you get yeah. your Jake Pauls your Nate Robinsons which I don't even know what to make of that I was so stunned when I saw that I mean it, it's <laughs> like why just why I mean I get why I get why you just look at Jake Paul, look at Nate Robinson. If you know either of them, you know why it makes. I mean, makes Nate, sense, Nate will but... fight anybody. Nate, Nate. I mean, he's got that. Jake Paul is no joke, though. I know, and that's that's the thing is I don't know if Nate understands the difference between, like, I don't think people get in general that fighters are not like you in the street. <laughs> like yeah. it's not something where you think oh I'm bigger than this guy or I'm I'm an athlete too what are, I, I haven't even looked at like the tail of the tape on Nate Robinson and Jake Paul I mean obviously we know what we're working with when it comes to Nate Robinson but I'm not sure significantly I mean, we're talking five ten with Nate you know but not a great reach no and not a body that's built for boxing it's a body that's it's a basketball has, football has anyone player. out there seen anything of him hitting mitts or a fighter. I've seen Jake Paul, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's a fighter. I mean, this is what, so it's. And it's close on the odds too. Right now, Jake Paul's at, I think, somewhere around like minus 160. Nate's famous, man. And Nate's famous. Yes, but if it was up to the fame, then you would, you know, with the, like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson right now is minus 170, despite the rust, despite, when's the last time Mike fought? Like, actually fought. Mike's 2004? last fight was, fight was 2005. Okay. Yeah, so still, 15 years later, minus 170 favorite. Roy Jones Jr. just fought two years ago. He's won his last four fights. He's literally never stopped doing this. 
Yeah, Roy is, the difference between 15 years and Roy never stopped and Roy's plus 140 right now. So, I mean, something to that. We, we just, just don't care. We're going to – who's betting against Mike? But you're not betting this. against Mike. One of the things I think you're, that Mike is getting – and I think part of it is I would analogize this to Rocky Balboa, the movie. Okay, remember when, when Rocky stands in front of the, the, uh, the Philadelphia Boxing Commission or whatever, Pennsylvania Boxing Commission, and he's like, what's – What's more, you know, like standing toe to toe and saying, I am. And I think that's what a lot of this is for these kind of guys, for Mike Tyson, for Roy Jones. It's like, this is what you do. And until you, and for Mike Tyson, the fact that over his career, he fought less than 300 rounds. 300 rounds. So you think about all the fighting that he had somewhere locked up in him. You know what I mean? Like the rounds that he, that you got to get out of you, the things that you prepare for that you want to get out of you, the three years when you're in prison and you have, those are your prime years and you're sitting there and you didn't get to get all of that, whatever that thing is, that beast that lives in a fighter until they don't want to fight anymore. He never got the chance to burn that out. And I think for Roy, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, Remember, there got to be a certain point in his career where Roy was fighting to amuse himself almost. Like, can I do this? Because how many guys go from super middleweight to heavyweight champion? Like, that's, that doesn't, it's unprecedented to go from super middleweight. So you're talking about two of the most historic boxers of all time. Roy Jones at one time was the greatest pound-for-pound fighter in the world. And then you have Mike Tyson, who was mythologically speaking, the greatest knockout artist of all time. And, I don't even think mythologically speaking. But you know, you know what I mean? Just it's like, a matter of fact, yeah. but yes. So, you know, it'd be up there with George Foreman and, you know, Sonny Liston, those kinds of guys, just knockout machines. And right. Mike is in that group. But we're talking about Mike has fought 31 total rounds in the last 20 years. And like you said, Roy has been active in that time. It's, it's, it's very different on your body to not have taken rounds, to not have gotten conditioned to taking those hits. And it's one thing for Mike to throw him. I think Roy is going to try to make Mike work because he hasn't been over four rounds in 20 years. And this is also something to your point, either of these guys are going to be able to hang their hat on this for the rest of their life, regardless of the stature of exhibition or however you view this fight. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's something that either of these guys can hang their hat on for the rest of their life. That's part of why they do it, the fighting itch on top of, obviously, the money. And, and you have to, to bring this into perspective with, with the rust and how – comparing, like I said, Royce never stopped doing this compared to 15 years old. And you, and you have – from a betting perspective, especially when you see the odds makers come out and put Mike as the favorite um, opening, you have to bring that up. Because, you know, sitting there with Roy Jones Jr. at plus 140 after, after what he's done in his career um, was a little bit shocking to me coming out of the gate. At the same time, you get public money is going to come in on Mike um, heavy. But I, just, I, I get it in the sense I don't think anybody's going to bet against him. I just oh. – you could tell – we could, we could beat, you know, this to death on Roy Jones Jr., the experience, you know, what, and, and rightfully so. But at the same time, we just don't care. We were ready to see Mike fight anybody. We still don't believe that anybody's going to beat Mike. Uh, I don't think there's anything, you know, it's just one of those things. How, how do you watch that fight on September 12th and you bet on anybody except for Mike Tyson and you enjoy your pizza and your beer and your popcorn? Now, I won't. I, I don't even care. Like, I want to bet on Roy Jones Jr. because I think that that's the smart bet, if I'm being quite honest with you, but I won't. 
I'll, I'll hedge my bets. I'll pray, place props. I'll, you know, maybe go hard on the Jake Paul fight, but this is one of those things where you, and how often do you get that type of appeal? Not, not only just from somebody that however old Mike Tyson is, but just from fighters in general, where you get to a place where you're like, I, I just don't even care. Not betting against the guy. You can tell me what you want. You could tell me he's fighting Godzilla, probably still not betting against him, which makes this, uh, from a gambling perspective, from a fan perspective, so much more fun for me. Yeah, Vegas needs this one too, because this is a this is going to be a huge because this brings in all of your non-hardcore boxing fans. Everyone. So Everyone. you get every, people from any walk of life are gonna say, I'll drop a 20 on this. It's Mike Tyson, it's it's Roy Jones. Yeah. So Vegas has to be going nuts over this. And Triller gets the deal to broadcast for $50 million for the rights to broadcast. They're going to make that money back in spades. And think about that. Think about Mike was saying, anybody just throw me a contract with a million dollars on it. And I don't care what the name is. I'll sign it. And then a month or so later, we're looking at a $50 million contract for Triller to have exclusive rights to stream it. Yes. It's pretty insane. They're going to make that money back. It's, it's, um, it's just the histories of these two guys. It's just everything that that's involved in the fact that to draw the contrast with the actual heavyweight division right now. And right. like we talked about, um, there's been a lot of conversation that Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua and Deandre Wilder are positioning themselves. If they do this right over the next year to two years, they can make themselves a, a lot of money. A lot of money for the three of them. These are already three of the top 20 earners in, in Forbes. Um, you know, I think Tyson Fury earned, what, something like – Tyson Fury's 11th on the list, and he only fought once last year. So, I mean, Joshua's at 19 and, and Wilder's at 20. But if the three of them do this cycle, because you still got the one more fight that Wilder has with Tyson Fury. You still have Joshua and Fury have two fights – agreed to on, on uh, as far as contracts, but both Fury has to fight. You know, this Fury-Wilder fight is, is certainly something that they have to get over. Wilder, we talked about this before, I don't know if he can close the gap technically because Tyson Fury did so much different. And that's, why you, that's why you hate the trilogy fight, right? Because technically we know everything we need to know because I don't think the first fight was a draw and the second fight was very decisive. So the only thing that Deontay – he's – he could, but he I don't think he's winning out. Yeah, he could knock him out. But what I was going to say is he, he could, but I don't think he wins a fight on the cards. No I, way. I don't think there's don't, a way. Yeah. No way. If they go so to 12, if, he doesn't win. So if he knocks Tyson out, I mean, what do we get out of that? Like, what do we benefit from, from the trilogy ending that way? And, it, you know, it, it leaves a very sour taste in your mouth when you feel like you've already had it decided. When you, if it's a situation like to bring the UFC into it, Max Holloway – Volkanovski where there's people arguing both fights even if the first fight you could give definitively to to uh, Volkanovski second fight not even close as far as discussion going back and forth on who won that we don't have that with Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury which is why but you can't I, buy I, Wilder out that's the problem right. and, and I understand that take the money. but the fight that you can't compromise by any means is England Fury and Joshua because that's where you make the most money that's the most compelling fight if you want this to matter and you want fans to get interested in, then you can't have all these different belts and all these different promotions where people get confused. Who is the real champion? You have to right. unify that. You have to put the big dog up there because not only that, 
That's where no matter who it is, they get to cement their place in the history of the sport. You don't want to leave this era and go, well, it was like we just did. It's Wilder. It's Fury. It's Joshua. No, you want to know the guy. Even if that guy gets all the belts and then you have a couple other fights and it, you know, we know how careers go down along the line. But at the same time, you have to have a moment, whether it's later this year or going into 2021, obviously, that um, either Joshua or Fury gets that moment. And then we can work to the cycle from there. But I feel like that's the fight that has to happen first. And I would would feel a little sour if we had to get that trilogy fight between uh, Wilder and Fury first before that, because I don't think that that should be the thing that that compromises the biggest, you know, heavyweight championship fight that we'll get in quite some time when when Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua do fight. Because, yeah, what does suck about that to me is that, yeah, if you had had one win and another win and now you were just close fight. Right, two really close fights. It this isn't the this isn't um, you know Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward. You know it's not that kind of trilogy. It's not um, Ali Frazier where those were fights that were historically good. And all of those like with Ward and Gotti, two of those were fights of the year. Let's two be honest them. though, his corner had to ask the other man to stop beating him up. Right, you know what I mean. I mean, it's as simple as that. You don't want to, you know, bring it down to that level. But if we're being honest, the first fight, you didn't win. You slipped a punch at the end. It changes the judge's eyes. To me, that wasn't quite fair. And then the second fight, he said he was going to knock you out in the second, and he did it in the seventh. I, I mean, it, it kind of is what it is. I, not to say I wouldn't like to see it again, but I wouldn't like to see it in a scenario where it, it, it changes kind of the role that I think we have to have here. If boxing wants to kind of take this to the highest level that they can at this point, because they have – the potential to do a lot with these three right now. Yep. And there's one fight or one thing that could throw, you know, a wrench in that. Well, what about the um, Joshua fight with uh, uh, Kubret Pulev, who is 39 say years that, old. Say that again. Kubret Pulev. He has to fight. Joshua has to do that fight too. That's a mandatory fight for him before he can fight uh, Tyson Fury too. And this guy's 39 years old, one loss. It shouldn't be again, but, he shouldn't be a challenge for Anthony Joshua, but these are the kind of ones that, that get you. A guy who's just been around, is an experienced fighter, and you're looking ahead and you get caught. Is Anthony Joshua that guy to get caught? I don't, I, I don't want to be disgraceful to boxing or contenders or whoever that guy is because I've never seen him fight or heard his name before. I don't – you know, I'm just – I'm not the Most biggest savage. boxing guy. I watch it. And so, you know, I remember who I remember and then other ones I have to go back the next fight. I'm just not the biggest boxing guy in the world. And I think people will relate to that. I don't have any shame in saying that. But those are the kind of matchups I scoff at. When you, when you look deep, and not just because of the name or because it's Anthony Joshua or don't want to give credence to a competitor, but when, when guys are fighting within themselves and that's what these three are doing, it's a whole different game. You're fighting for the legacy and they're, you know, yeah, you see, but how often do we see that happen in a scenario where we have, you know, a Joshua Fury type thing set up? Not often do you see that derailed by, by something of that nature. Now, maybe when you're talking about the caliber of Deontay Wilder, then that's a different story and being able to mix things up, but a fight like that. And we saw the same for Fury. I forget who he fought between the Wilder rematch but he got right. cut up pretty bad. Right, right, right. Um, and that's what we Which thought. can oh, happen. Yeah, yeah. But still, I, the concern level is is not very high at all with that. When you when you start talking about these big dogs or a guy like Deontay Wilder, and really just the concern with him is the knockout power, the fact that you could, you know, he loses a lot of his fights and then knocks someone out very often. Um, 
so that's the thing where it's a fight. I mean, that, that's a, that's a part of it. That's what, you know, if you're fighting your way out of any situation in life, if you could swing one time, whatever that metaphor may be and your problem go away, then you're going to do it. So I can't hate you for that. Um, but as, as far as say that guy's name again, one more time. <laughs> Kubret Pulev. Eastern European, you know, you know, I, I, I will, I promise you guys, I'll go watch about I mean, five of his fights. Yeah. It's not, I'll, we'll see. He's a journeyman. I mean, this, I mean, he's one, but again, at 39 years old, I just, I don't, I don't see him taking out Anthony Joshua, but I think even when we talk about that Tyson Fury fight, that's when he was in the midst of the transformation. You know what I mean? Like he was going through, I'm learning my new style. And I think that that when you are learning a new style, you're more susceptible to taking some hits and then you have the matchup and matchups make fights. But I think, yeah, for Deontay Wilder, I don't see how he can get disciplined enough to not take that jab over and over again. And it's, it's not even as much him, man. Tyson Fury is elite. Oh, as yeah. elite of defense as it comes, his strike, you know, the pillowcases that we thought he had, that's not what he has. He's got way more in those hands than pillowcases. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I don't see it. Tyson's just the better boxer. I felt that way going into the rematch. I said that on your show leading up to the fight, took him definitively. I don't see that changes. You're, you're always 100% worried about Deontay Wilder knocking you out. Um, but I don't, I don't see him being able to, in, in any way in a third fight, be able to say, oh, I'm the better fighter. Now, when it comes to Fury and Joshua, I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. I think, obviously, it still favors uh, Tyson Fury to me. But when you're talking about it being in England, which it will be, yep. it would be dumb not to be. Um, and for, for all the marbles, for everything, when you know, and, and Tyson Fury's, you know, battled with that legacy, battled with a lot more than legacy in his life, but just doing things like winning the ring belt twice, which is something only I believe Muhammad Ali um, has done, things like that. There's a lot of pressure going into that fight. It's different from Wilder Fury. There was a lot of pressure there, but it's tenfold when you're talking about your home country and oh, you're talking yeah. about all the belts and you're talking about the ability. How many people have done that? How many heavyweights have, have unified? I, I mean, Tyson, no, Tyson was the first. Okay. And then, um, you know, the other guys would take – Buster Douglas took it from Tyson and Holyfield took it from that. And it was kind of uh, that way until Lennox Lewis had it. And Lennox Lewis was the last really unified champ because after Lewis. Who am I forgetting? Who did who did Tyson beat? Wasn't I, I, name slipping me? Tyson had to be three. He had to be Pinklin Thomas. He had to be Trevor Burbick, and I'm trying to remember the third. The name that's slipping on you is the name that's slipping on me too right now, and I'm pretty sure that's another one that unified it. But there's not many. You're putting yourself in yeah, a very. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's, it's a it's very the, it's, the, it's the brothers. Why is that they, slipping? Klitschko my... brothers would oh, Klitsch, think Mike okay. Spink, Michael Spinks I was thinking did Klitschko. not have a title. Michael Spinks did not have a title when they fought. He was recognized as champ because he had fought. He didn't do the – he was the linear champion, but he had to give up the belts to make money on a Jerry Cooney fight. So there's a lot of – I was thinking Klitschko. I but was the thinking... Klitschko brothers would never fight each other, so the right. belts would never unify. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, so they were never unified. So this now is the opportunity to unify those belts. And like you said, this would make either one of them. Nobody has been bigger than Lennox Lewis. In British boxing. Yeah. Whoever wins that fight becomes the greatest British boxer of all time. Just- and you start, and that's what I'm saying. You have to do that in the sport when you, when you want, you know, your, your boxing is trying to come back to the mainstream. You need that guy that you can, that you can set in stone and say, Hey, this, if you want to compare errors or you want to go to Tyson or you want to go to Lennox, whoever, then this is the guy. And, and we don't have that yet. And that's what that Fury Joshua fight is going to do. Um, 
also I got so lost there with the Klitschko. I don't know why that slipped my mind. Got to remember the last time that like boxing was anybody. Like well, I was got, like nine years old too. Like you know yeah, what I mean. The they, last they hit out in Russia and they never came to America to fight and they wouldn't fight each other. So they, I mean, they were like the most boring champs ever. They were the most. <laughs> they were the worst, and they could fight. They could fight. They were really good boxers, but they wouldn't fight anybody. And that was the thing. Is like, why won't you leave Russia? And come fight, and it was like, nah. And why? Why won't? That's my brother. I can't fight him. Well, why do you want to split the championship then? What's the point? At some point, you have to. You, 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 if you're going to be champion, you have to fight the other best fighter out there. And I think that forever ruins both of their legacies. And if I'm not mistaken, something that I've been getting interested in, and you know, like I said, haven't always been the biggest boxing fan, but kind of rolling it into my schedule a little bit. Um, I believe Tuesday nights are the top rank fights, right? And they just started rolling back. Um, so if anybody's just interested in learning some of these guys' names or watching some fights, Tuesdays have been really fun for me to, to get to know some guys, see some really fun, compelling fights. Um, top rank, doing a lot of great things. I'm, one of the guys I'm really high on is Ryan Garcia. Look forward to seeing him fight um, soon. Maybe, I, I don't know, with the, with the Mike Tyson and uh, Roy Jones Jr. card, will there be any crossover fights? I, that's something that's going to happen eventually where we're going to see these guys where it's, you know, or, or crossover events where you have boxing, you have MMA um, matches on There's the same money night. There. There's and, money there. And the, the separate sports, boxing, UFC, MMA, don't necessarily love it. They don't love the idea. It's a little bit of a gimmick. But I'm, I am interested to see when that starts to come in, you kind of start combining these worlds a little bit for fans to get a little more overall knowledge of, of what's going on, how these sports work, how they're different. Um, how the skill sets compare and, and that type of thing. Cause we, we see it all the time with, and the reason I brought that up is because I mentioned Ryan Garcia, you see the talk go back and forth with guys like Henry Cejudo in the UFC. And you see um, John Jones even got in on the Mike Tyson discussion. If they would do a trade-off for a boxing match, an MMA match, um, Clarissa Shields and Amanda Nunes. Um, so you see it a lot. And eventually I think we're going to get to the place where, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of money to be made. Those MMA fighters want the money. They know where the, mo the they money need the money. Box. Yep. Something yep. I didn't realize until like the other week, and I never mentioned this on your show, but I should have when we're talking about the pay and everything. I mean, there's, there's some of these ring girls that are making more money than the fighters in their fighting. Yeah. And, and not, you know, think of that what you want. It's not about the, the career path or what you're doing. And yes, you can say that ring girl's there in front of the ring every single fight, and that fighter's only fighting one time, but still, <laughs> but still, but still, there's something to be said there when whoever's sitting on the sidelines is making more money. You know, the cheerleader shouldn't be making Joe more Rogan's money than the offensive linemen. Right. Joe Rogan's making more money than the fighters. and that's Joe true. Rogan should make more money. I'll say that. Joe Rogan should make more I'm money. I'm just saying, in the NFL... If well, he's the type of guy that you have to pay him a certain amount of money to bring him to the table in the first place but to even pay him what he... Do you need him anymore at this stage? Do you... Honestly, but honestly, the question is, does he need the UFC? Neither the one U of them needs each other. But, but, the, but the, you, the, the UFC needs Joe Rogan more than Joe Rogan needs it. I'll say that. Because if you didn't see this last fight with Dan Hardy, this man Dan Hardy called out Herb Dean live. Like Herb Dean walks out of the octagon after – because he, he, this guy took an extra maybe two shots after he was knocked out, and Dan Hardy just loses it on the dude. And it's like, yeah, Joe Rogan wouldn't do that. And, and I get Dan Hardy. That was like his teammate and his train, you know, somebody right. trained with somebody new, so he didn't want to see the guy take extra shots. But Herb Dean is about as good as it gets. Like, Herb Dean is that dude when it comes to ref and MMA fights. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there, you don't have a lot of Joe Rogans in the world. I'm not saying Joe Rogan's the best, but you have, you know, your Goldies and, and just guys that you – know, who who's the UFC had commentating over the years? Like, you remember Mike Goldberg, yeah. John Anik, 
and Joe Rogan. And that's, that's pretty much it. So, I mean, they don't necessarily need him, but they would need to build someone else up to, yeah. to get to that point. Like I said, they have John Anik, but he's more of the, what do you call it? The, 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 there's play by play color. I don't know how all that works, but he's not the Joe Rogan's more the, the, the action. Right. The color. Right. And, and John Anik isn't quite John Anik's about as good in the business as it gets. But you know, you're looking at Joe Rogan just did what a, a hundred million dollar deal with Spotify. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, I mean, he's, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't need the UFC. He doesn't need them. I mean, he does it out of a passion. It's a passion project for him. For he, sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, he could have walked away a long time ago as far as just, if he wanted to, the money-wise. But you have DC. You have other guys. That's a that's a big one. That's going to be his career when he gets done. You have that fight coming up in mm-hmm. August, and then he's going to. I'm pretty he's sure done he's done really gonna, well for himself. He's going to be in the video game and all of that. So yeah, that a lot of money to be made there in a Louisiana guy too. All right, so we will get back on this um, another time. You and I on. We'll talk more about this as the fight gets closer. Um, but Trevor, tell folks real quick again how they can follow you and where they can check out the pod. Yeah, man. Richie TMR, R-I-T-C-H-I-E-T-M-R, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, pretty much anywhere you want to find me. The podcast link's going to be in my bio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you want to listen to it. Get rich with Trevor Richie. I haven't had an episode come out in a while. Should have one this week. Reaching out to a lot of camps of uh, people that have been fighting recently. Calvin Cater, Dan Ige, Jack Hermanson. I'm going to reach out to Tyson's team, some of the people that he's been working with at Hidden Mitt, see if I can get um, anybody from that camp on between now and September. So we're working on some stuff for sure. So for Trevor Ritchie and myself, this is David Grubb, and this has been another episode of Hard in the Paint. I'll have another one for you coming up today. See y'all later.